Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we are here again looking at the John Clayton series, Does God Exist? Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, we're lesson, thir- or lesson 15 of, I think there's either 34 or 36 of these, so we are a little less than halfway through. Uh, and the title of today's lesson is The Paranormal and the Queen Mary. Um, he'll go back and explain what he means by paranormal at the beginning of this uh, tape. This is the third in a series of four that he deals with this general topic, but he, he goes into explanation on this one a little bit more detail about how um, many of the things that are viewed as outside of normal, which is what paranormal means, um, are not that at all. They're simply uh, scams. They're simply uh, explainable in natural terms. And so he will he will do that for us. And one of the things that he's going to look at is uh, the Queen Mary to start off with. Uh, it is not Queen Mary. It is the Queen Mary. And it is it is the boat, and uh, that certain paranormal activity supposedly takes place on that, and he actually takes a trip uh, and visits the boat. Uh, not during this episode, but he has done so in the past. So, let's let Clayton talk to us uh, about the paranormal and the Queen Mary. Welcome to the Does God Exist series, program number 15. We're discussing the paranormal. We have defined the paranormal. We have attempted to indicate to you what those subject areas are. We have tried to indicate that we're not just doing a massive destruction of everything that is in the paranormal. We're trying to separate those things that might be constructive and useful from those things that are clearly scams, are false, misunderstandings, areas that we really should not spend time considering. We have talked a little bit about some of the reasons why this is an important discussion. We have also looked at what the Bible has to say about these particular areas and the fact that we are encouraged in the Bible to test every spirit. We spent some time looking at things that are presented and methods of approaching those things. We used Derek von Donneken's material, Chariot of the Gods, as an example to indicate some of the techniques that we can use to investigate phenomena. Let me, let me take you through another example of that. You were looking at a picture of the Queen Mary. Queen Mary is sometimes called the Grey Ghost. When I was a little kid, I can remember seeing the Queen Mary in the dock in New York City. It was a major vehicle in World War II. It is now a tourist haven in California, near Long Beach, California. There's an interesting play being made on Ghost. Talking about tours, I want you to notice that uh, one of the tours that is given is Ghost and Legends Tour. Enjoy this interactive special effects show filled with spooky animations of the ship's alleged hauntings. Underneath that, we have the Haunted Encounters Tour. Take a guided tour of the ship's most haunted areas and hear tales of the Queen Mary's most famous reported ghost. After dining with the spirits, you have Paranormal Investigation. Learn the tricks of the trade using ghost hunting tools and go on a paranormal pursuit to communicate with the Queen Mary's spirits. And then to that, the paranormal shipwalk. Explore the reported hauntings of the Queen Mary on an evening paranormal tour. I'd like to to tell you about my visit to the Queen Mary. Queen Mary's history has been one where there were a number of people killed. In one case, the Queen Mary ran across a boat and cut it in half, and most of the people on board the boat that was cut in half were killed. 
There have been some accidents in the ship itself where people were killed by steam lines and things of that type. We were given an opportunity to not only take the general tour, which I just read you some about, but we were guided by a paranormal expert to explore the places where the ghost was most prevalent, where the ghost hauntings were, and to see what their tools were that were used. It was a fascinating evening, delightful young lady who had been able to build a repertoire of the ghost in the Queen Mary. We visited each of the different places where strange sightings were reported to have occurred. I don't have a, uh, a ghost detection stick like she did exactly, but I've got something similar to that that I've fashioned here. I took a coat hanger and bent it. And what she had was uh, some ball bearing pivots so that the, these wands could move. But the idea was she would hand this to somebody when we were in certain areas of the ship and have them hold it. And the idea was that if the ghost was present, the ghost would make something happen to the rods. The rods would move. In her case, they were uh, there were some protrusions down here, some ball bearings up here, and they were drawn together. In our case, we could just say, okay, what happens if a uh, ghost, and she would call out to the ghost, ghost, would you move the rods? So I could say, ghost, will you make this go down? And we were there for like, and the person holding this, which is one of the participants, was holding it for like 15 or 20 minutes. And of course, what happens is that in 15 or 20 minutes, you lose your position. And then she would call attention, look, it's moved. Oh, the ghost has moved it. Now, are there natural explanations for that type of thing? How about fatigue? If the ghost is capable of exerting a force, why do we need something that's that flimsy? and that easily involved. There were supposed to be other situations. We were taken to the swimming pool, first-class swimming pool area, where a seven-year-old girl has drowned, and her ghost was supposed to run rampant through that area. And they put each of us in stalls, in dressing stalls in the first-class area, and turned out the lights. And the idea was that somebody would see something that would take place during that time. It was kind of funny because one of the guys that was with us was a friend of mine named Duck Jacoby. And he reached underneath with a stall and grabbed the ankle of the woman that was in the next stall over from him. And, of course, she screamed, and that totally disrupted everything. But, you know, you have an atmosphere that's developed. And one of the things that was supposed to take place in this area was that if you took your camera and shot a picture in absolute darkness, you would get there would be a light that would show up in your picture. You would actually see the ghost in your picture. And several of the guys took the cameras and shot it, and sure enough, there was it was called an orb in the corner of the picture. And, uh, of course, that was said to be the ghost. I happened to be noticing while all this was going on that around this area there were some ultraviolet lights that were tanning lights that were used back when the Queen Mary was a tourist ship. And there were signs up telling people that they shouldn't look into these lights and so forth. And they were still plugged in. And I just had uh, a wonderment. And, and so I pulled the plug on a couple of those and asked the guys to take a picture. And when they did, they didn't get the orb. The picture didn't come out. What was obviously going on was that there was light coming from these tanning lights that was capable of, of exposing the film, but was not in the visible part of the spectrum. Every claim that was made in that tour was easily disproven by simply looking at things that we know today about human senses, by things that we know about the psychic of people in those kinds of circumstances. And interestingly enough, the young lady that has very much believed in this and had been doing this tour for some period of time had had a serious brain injury earlier in her life. One of the things that you have to ask the question about is, is there a psychological factor involved in the things that we see? Did the trauma that she went through affect her in any way? The story of Betty and Barney Hill, who were supposedly abducted by aliens. Betty Hill had a different story than Barney Hill, and Betty Hill had a long history of severe psychological difficulties. Those are factors that have to be considered. There's no way that we can attach a methodology that will work in every single case. We're certainly not saying 
that people are crazy to see these things. We're simply saying that these can be factors involved. There are human causes that have to be investigated when claims are made of this type. And let me show you another type of human cause, which all of us can see. And uh, let me suggest to you that uh, you may want to get where you can see the screen very clearly for this demonstration. I want you to stare at the dot in the center of this red triangle. Now, where you're staring at the dot in the center of the red triangle, let me explain something to you about the way your eyes work. And keep staring at the dot in the center of the triangle, if you will, please. You have three kinds of color cones in your eyes. Color cones that are sensitive to red, color cones that are sensitive to blue, and color cones that are sensitive to green. When you see white, all three of the color cones are activated at one time. What's interesting about these cones is that they only work for about 15 or 20 seconds. And then, probably to prevent them from burning out, they shut off. So I want you to keep your eye on the dot now. I'm going to change the picture, but keep your eye on the dot. Do not take your eye off the dot. What do you see? I would expect that most of you would see a blue-green triangle. But it's not there. It's not there. You say, no, it's there. I see it. And, and it's moving around a little bit. Keep watching it. It'll disappear. Now, what's going on here? Well, let, let's review what I said to you. I said you have three color, color cones, red, green, and blue. That white is a mixture of red, green, and blue. And that the color cones only work for 15, 20 seconds, and then they shut off. So when you stared at that red triangle, you wore out your red color cones. When I switched the picture, the thinking part of your brain said to your eyes, what do you see? The blue color cone shot back and answered. They said, we're excited, we're getting blue. The green cone shot back and answered. They said, we're excited, we're getting green. But the red cones couldn't work. I had worn them out. And so you saw white minus red, which is blue and green. You saw a blue-green triangle, which didn't exist. Now, the point here is that your senses can be misled very, very easily. And this can be very real, and it can be very complex. Let's do another one just to show you how complex it can be. Let me ask you to stare at the cross in the center of this diagram. And while you're staring at the cross, let's figure out ahead of time what's going to happen. Now, you already know what's going to happen where the red is. Where the red is, I'm wearing out your red color cones. You're going to see a blue-green pie wedge where the red is. Where the green is, I'm wearing out the green color cones in your eye. That means the red and the blue cones are resting. Red and blue, when mixed, are magenta. It's sort of a purplish-violetish color. So you're going to see a magenta pie wedge where the green is. Where the blue is, I'm wearing out the blue color cones in your eye. That means the red and the green are resting. Red and green, simultaneously produced are interpreted as yellow in the human brain. So you're going to see yellow where the blue is. Now where the yellow is, I'm wearing out the yellow cones, but you don't have any yellow cones. You have <coughs> red, green, and blue. Yellow stimulates both red and green. So I'm wearing out the red and I'm wearing out the green as you stare at the yellow. So what you're going to see is blue with the yellow is, yellow with the blue is, magenta with the green is, blue green with the red is. Keep your eye on the cross. Do not take your eye off the cross. What are you saying? Now what's interesting is that if you have several people in the room, you won't all see the same thing. And as a matter of fact, uh, some of you may not see anything. Because... For instance, a high percentage of males are colorblind to at least one color. So some will see four, and some will see three, and some will see two, and some will see one, and some won't see anything if you've got a significant number of people. Many times in UFO sightings, not everybody sees the same thing. And what's also interesting is that as you keep staring at this screen as you see it now, the colors will disappear. You see, you're not going to see a blue-green triangle for the rest of your life or whatever because the color cones gradually recover 
and they don't have the same sensitivity. This is a classic demonstration of what we mean by human sense problems. Now, if you want to have a little quick test of your color vision, you might look at this little color test and see what colors you see. And uh, if you don't see any colors, you're totally colorblind. If you see numbers, then you're not colorblind, at least not to all colors. But you might discuss which ones you see, and I won't take time to explain that to you now. It isn't only the question of color vision. Environment can affect it. How Are the two red circles different or the same size? Are these two blues the same or different shades of blue? This one, you know, people struggle with, and yet we painted the blues out of the same bucket of paint. What misleads you? And the answer is the background. The yellow makes you interpret the blue on the right-hand side too lightly. The black stripes cause you to interpret the blue on the left too darkly. I've often made the parallel. Why does not everybody understand the Bible the same way? And the answer is it's the same problem. Our background affects us in our interpretation of a lot of things, including color. There's a famous UFO sighting in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where this group of UFOs in the upper right-hand corner were seen moving towards you and to the right. It was so real that the Air Force scrambled jets. What you're looking at here is a dust storm, and moving in front of the dust storm, lenticular clouds. With a different background, the clouds look very different. And when they got to the mountain, it was obvious they were clouds. Sometimes people's imagination can run wild with them. Do you see an angel in this picture? Well, that can be a function of people's imagination. You can see lots of things in the clouds when you're looking at them. Do you see hands in this picture? And again, people's psychological set may affect how they interpret things of this type, but there are easy natural explanations to these things. Do you see God in the picture? See a man's head, his chest? Again, it's a demonstration of the same sort of thing. Sometimes people are misled by being given too much information. This is a famous UFO sighting. The story here was that a UFO came sweeping from upper right to lower left. As it came in, in Alaska, it set the trees on fire, flames and smoke everywhere. The UFO landed on the left-hand side. Two aliens that are just up and to the right from the UFO walked over and got water, got back in the spaceship and flew away. Well, look at it more carefully. Do you see anything else? If I tell you there are animals in the picture, does that help? What you have here is a double exposure of an Alaskan Maumu dog and her puppies superimposed on a scenery picture. On the right-hand side, you'll notice the arrow here is her right hind leg, her, her tail curled up over her back. Her dog tags hanging around her neck, those are the two aliens. Her nose and mouth eating out of a, a metal dish. And to the right of the dish, one of her puppy's muzzles. They went to the guy that took the picture and claimed it was a UFO and asked him if he had any mammals. And he said, well, yes, he did. And they said, well, did you ever take a picture of me? He said, yeah, I was on the same roll of film as the UFO picture, but it didn't come out. <laughs> yeah, it did come out. And the point is that it takes a observer who is not prejudiced to see that. I'm told that the way this picture was exposed was that there was a UFO picture or series being shown by a Professor uh, Stephen Hunyak from Northwestern University and a little girl uh, kept pointing at the screen and saying, look at the bow wow. And uh, that was when the thing broke because the little girl hadn't heard the explanation about flames and smoke and fire. Is this a UFO? Well, no. What happened here was a friend of mine was taking a picture of a thunderstorm and then he accidentally turned around and shot a picture of the desk light in his motel room. It's a double exposure. But this is another example of misunderstandings, the effect that our senses can mislead us. Sometimes it's just deliberate jokes, scams, and hoaxes. U.S. News had an interesting issue on this many years ago. Uh, September 11th, is this an actual picture? Well, obviously not, but in our day of computers and people's ability to manipulate pictures, you can do all kinds of things, and some of them are entertaining. And some of them are quite serious. 
because we have had misleading pictures shown of how many people were on the moon, how many real estate bargains have been struck from pictures that were misleading. There have been scams. Roswell, New Mexico is perhaps the classic example of a way of getting massive publicity. The Roswell thing claimed that aliens were found in a spaceship that crashed in New Mexico. And this picture was circulated. What this is is a wax museum in England. There was a film at one point from the Roswell thing that was supposed to be a dissection of the aliens by the Air Force at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. And they had all these pictures of them taking the alien apart. The problem was this event occurred in the 80s, and that hazmat suit was much later than that. The phone was much later than that. The retractor was much later than that. And we know now this was a scam. It's easy to have scams. It's easy to be misled. It's easy to have difficulties because people have found it's a good way to make money and get attention. Sometimes it's just observation problems, just not recognizing things. Is this a UFO? People called the police saying it was. It was changing color. It was moving around. But what you're looking at is the planet Venus looking through a lot of haze and smoke and pollution which changed the color and caused the position to change. Are these two spacecraft going up in the air over Ann Arbor, Michigan? No, it's a time exposure of the moon on the right, a crescent moon, and Venus on the left. Are these alien lights in California moving to the right and up and down? This picture was taken in Bishop, California. I took the picture. There was an earthquake going on at the time. And these are called quake lights. And there have been studies showing the correlation between earthquake activity and UFO sightings. Sometimes swarms of insects can cause people to think they are seeing aliens and UFOs. These are fireflies in a tree in San Francisco lighting up when they were stimulated. Not an alien. Is this a UFO? Looks like the old movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And the answer is no. It's a place where dust was kicked into the upper atmosphere. The typical anvil shape of a cloud is saturated with dust. This is in Montana near the Gallatin River. And the, the clouds in the lower area are simply ground fog rolling up the river. A natural explanation. Is this a UFO streaking across the sky in Idaho? A man got two pictures of it. It was measured to be moving at an incredibly high rate of speed, something like 17,000 miles an hour. And the answer is because we had a person who actually took motion pictures and plotted the trajectory that this is something called a boloid. It's a hunk of rock from outer space. They can be green, they can be orange, they can be red, they can be white. They're common at night, especially at certain times of the year. August the 10th was when this one was taken, and that is a very common boloid shower. You don't often see them in the daytime, but occasionally you do. It's a UFO that became an IFO, an identified flying object. So there are natural causes. And sometimes it's just a matter of knowing how to observe and how to account for the things that you see. Look at this picture and tell me how you know it's a hoax. And I won't sit here and wait for you to, to get through all the data. But you say, but isn't it realistic? And by the way, the guy that did this never claimed it was real, but it's kind of interesting. And uh, you say, well, how do I know it's not real? Well, look at the shadows. If you look on the lower right-hand corner, you can see the shadow of the horse. There is no shadow of the man's back on the horse's back, which is where it would be because the sun would be to the upper left. So what's been done here is that the two pictures were cropped, and you can see the line if you look carefully. It runs from upper right to lower left, right along the bottom of his arm, and put together, incredibly skillfully done. But it's the kind of thing that a, a trained observer would recognize. All right, let's see if you learned anything. How many dogs are there in this picture? Zero, one, two, or three? And the answer is one. The dog on the right that the guy's got his left hand on is a real dog. 
Uh, I think he's holding the collar, as a matter of fact. The one on the left is a cardboard cutout. How would you know that? Look at the shadows. Just like the last picture. It's fairly easy to tell because there's no shadow on the belly of the dog at the left. We can learn how to make observations. And it's important to recognize that claims about UFOs, about psychic affairs and so forth, they can be tested. There are ways we can investigate claims that are made. And the Bible calls us to do this, to not accept on face value claims, especially when those claims are put in contradiction to the existence of God. I do need to say to you that this is a huge business. The picture you're looking at is one of my favorite ones because I took that picture going to a program, and when I came back uh, two days later, the hotel where this was being held had written across the face of the sign, Cancelled Due to Unforeseen Circumstances. <laughs> Wouldn't you think, with 200 people who claimed to be psychics in the hotel, somebody would have known there was going to be a fire. But again, this is a big business. There are encyclopedias, there are massive numbers of books, there are all kinds of things that have been written by prominent people making claims, and there's always the local little fact sheet that attempts to try and get people to spend their money and to make claims to give them recognition or prestige. I think it's important for us to understand something here. The natural world in which we live is not all there is. If we believe in God, we believe that there is spiritual force available to us. If you pray, you pray because you believe something can happen that is beyond the natural world in which we live. Those who believe in naturalism would deny this. Both those who believe in naturalism and those of us who try to follow Jesus Christ need to recognize the importance of knowing how to test every spirit, to determine what is true and what is not true, to examine evidence. And in this series, what we have purported to do, what we are trying to do, is to give you some tools, to give you some help to investigate phenomena, to know whether or not they are true. Because we believe the evidence for the existence of God is very real. But the existence for forces that could take away your freedom of choice, forces that would offer you an alternative to God, are not real. And that there are natural explanations, there are scams, there are misrepresentations, and the biblical admonition for us to avoid these things is there for a real reason. You know, there is a... Uh a common statement that sometimes you will hear well who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes and that is often used to um, persuade someone that what they thought they saw they really didn't see that my word for something is is uh, more valuable and and more realistic than what your own eyes might have seen. Uh, many times you'll hear people say, well, I won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes, as if that is um, some sort of guarantee that, um, that, that, that will make, make me sure that what, I, uh, what you told me is, is indeed uh, the fact. Um, our eyes are attached to our brains, and our brains are uh, just one amazing uh, piece of work, uh, and that's a gross understatement. Um, I'm I don't know uh, an awful lot about the brain, certainly not as much as those people who study it. Uh, and, but but people tell us that the brain is just uh, just so complex, so amazing, and it takes care of so many things in our bodies that we never even have to worry about or think about. Um, until something goes wrong, and then that's that's when it becomes um, makes us aware of, of how our brain um, naturally does that for us. Um, our minds are capable of doing amazing things, as he just illustrated um, numerous times. There, uh, our minds are are capable of making us believe something that 
isn't actually there. Uh, we talked uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago about um, faith healers, those individuals who tell evangelists or, or, or go around and conduct crusades where uh, they uh, claim to heal people. They'll have someone come up on stage who is uh, either in a wheelchair or has some malady of some sort and then um, in a, in a uh, rush of emotion and, and enthusiasm and maybe even speaking in tongues and and uh, they they will uh, push the person or hit the person in the forehead. Uh, someone behind them will catch them, and then uh, they the individuals are supposedly healed. Um, and we also talked about the possibility that it is possible for our minds to help that process and actually make things a little better as as a result. Um, our minds can be predisposed to believing that a situation like that is real. And so when the circumstance presents itself and all the emotions are high and the adrenaline is flowing, um, that if we actually believe the person heals us and our, our condition, whatever it is, which is not truly and solely physical, um, Maybe some sort, maybe some little bit of improvement, or maybe in our minds, if it is a, a mental condition, can actually uh, improve our physical uh, outcome. There, our minds are an amazing um, organ, and they uh, it is it is able to make us see things that are actually are not there. At the beginning of of this last lesson, he talked about he re reviewed this idea: Why are we studying this? And uh, the, the reason is, if we put our faith and time into things that are in opposition to God or in opposition to what we find in the Bible, then we will be uh, going astray. We will not be placing our faith in God and His Word. And so that's why he is spending four um, full lessons on this, this idea of the paranormal and demons and ghosts and, and things things of that sort. The point he makes there is that um, when people claim paranormal activity, activity which is above and beyond normal, uh, as we said uh, last week, I believe, the natural order uh, where we expect things to take place, levitation of something is against the natural order. It, 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 we understand gravity. But if something lifts up off a table, a body, a fork, or whatever it is, that's unnatural. That's, a, that's outside the norm, or outside the normal, or paranormal. But what he says is, in many cases, we're just not adequately equipped to point out how that was done, and that it wasn't a miracle, it wasn't paranormal, it was someone tricking us, scamming us, uh, making us believe something uh, that we really didn't see there. So those human causes uh, must be explained and uh, they can be uh, disproven and exposed as a result. Our eyes do play tricks on us. He gave us the example of the colors and the triangle and, and, and all of that and uh, gave us a logical explanation for that, a rational scientific explanation for that. I remember years ago, um, I haven't been to uh, Disney World in a long time, but I remember going there several years ago, 18, 20, uh, 15 to 20 years ago, and that's when they had, uh, I think, had some of those early uh, rides that you take where you go into a theater and you sit down and uh, what goes on on screen, you experience. Your seat moves, it rumbles, it, uh, uh, you know, they spray water on your face when, uh, I mean, it is amazing what they are able to do with the senses to make you feel like you are actually in that movie. I was talking to Chris beforehand about the virtual reality uh, goggles. I have never had a pair of those on my head, and I don't think I want to. And it's not because I am um, anti-technology. 
It's just that I know that if I get involved in something like that and really like it, and there's a lot of things out there that I could purchase that uh, would eat up an awful lot of my time, and uh, I just choose to stay away from that. When I know that there's a temptation there and I don't have to participate, then there's uh, there's good reason for me not to, and, and I avoid that. Chris was telling me, go ahead, tell him about your uh, college experience real quickly with your friends. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, when I was in uh, college, I had uh, suite mates. So I had one room here and one room here, and uh, we slept in this room, and we did everything else in this room. So it was basically a playroom. But uh, we had on the TV in that room for three straight days, without stop, someone was always playing uh, the, the PlayStation in that room. This is kind of crazy. You get addicted to that stuff, and it's uh, you just can't stop thinking about it. And you'd, you'd hand the controller off to the to the next guy, and you'd go get food or whatever. But for seventy two hours, there was always someone in there playing that that game, and uh, you, I don't know. You just kind of get you get addicted to it. It's weird. Almost where you have to just say no more. Yeah, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to waste uh, this much time. Um, with this, no matter how engaging it is, and, and we were also talking just before we came on uh, on camera today, um, was this idea that um, these major corporations, um, Xbox and Mario Kart and things like that, hire, and you can look this up, they hire psychologists and psychiatrists who deal in addiction. And what happens in the brain with the endorphins and, and all of that kind of stuff that that trigger this compulsion to continue and want more and want more and get addicted to this and they actually I think I am right in this I think I've read articles on it they actually advise them of how they can improve their uh, technology or insert something that will make it more addictive now that's that's preying on people that is preying on the minds of, of individuals who are especially subject to that, and more than likely we all are subject to that. But just anything that consumes you, anything that consumes a major portion of your time, when you could be in some way more productive with that time, we need to really consider whether or not that is, that is something that we should, should be doing. Uh, a few years ago, um, I was fortunate to uh, take a, uh, with a, a college of business group a trip over to China, and uh, we visited uh, Taiwan. And there was a, I think it was in Taiwan, uh, Taipei, where they had an 80-story building. And when you went up to the top of this building, uh, there was a, a center area, and then there was an, an area outside of that. And uh, that area outside of that. Um, had three or four or five, six doors that, that opened out and you could step out onto air and look down 80 floors straight down to the ground. Now, I have always liked heights and I thought this is going to be cool because yeah. you could, you, you, I mean, it is amazing what you can do and I, I have never feared heights and I, and I don't think it was my age I think it was a situation. Just before I stepped out onto that, my stomach flopped. <laughs> and I said, Rick, it's okay. There's other people out here walking on this, and it's not going to fall. But it took that, that step of, of faith in, in whatever technology was being used there to keep us from, from breaking off the building and falling down the edge there um, to take that step. And once I got out there, I was still a little edgy for about the first couple of minutes, and then that gradually went away. Our eyes and our minds are capable of producing things in us that um, stir emotions that in a, in a different situation would not actually be there. Um, I talked about uh, the, the idea in the, in the faith healing situation, and he talked about the background of what we see is is important the circumstances the environment we as human beings can become predisposed to toward some sort of reaction 
simply based on, or at least helped by, the background and the circumstances around us. There have been those who um, have talked about their experiences in, in Pentecostal situations where um, tongues were were spoken. And we're not going to get into a, a long discussion about tongues, but um, that that is that is paranormal. That is not normal. Um, those who are claiming to speak in tongues would say the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, is moving them to do this. But there are those who um, claim that when they have been in that kind of situation, with that kind of heightened emotion, and other people doing it, that there was some sort of uh, something that took over and they decided or didn't decide, it just happened, that they would participate too. Later when they came away from it, they said that really wasn't anything special or magical. I was making myself do that, but it was easier to do it with the heightened predisposition of my mind that I was I was open to that. Now, those who were doing it would say, well, you're just denying the fact that you, you spoke in tongues and the Spirit did uh, did consume, consume you at that at that point. We're at a time in our in our uh, season where uh, haunted houses uh, normally would be taking place, and I guess some will still be doing it even with COVID out there. Um, but I don't like to go in those either. <laughs> but there are people who do. There are people who like to be scared, and the predisposition of assuming that something is going to happen heightens the reality once maybe even a lower level of that uh, occurs. And so our minds are able to see things and enhance things in ways that that uh, aren't real and uh, make us see things uh, that are not there. Just before we came uh, a while ago, I was, uh, I was looking on the computer and I said, because he had given us a couple of optical illusions there, if you Google... Uh, or you, or browse and and search, use a search engine and and uh, look up the word optical illusion. You will get more than your share of uh, pictures um, and things like this that will will blow your mind. You'll think, how in the world can the mind see that? Um, there's an artist, um, Escher is his name, E S C H E R. I'm sure he is dead by now, but I, I have a, a, a book of some of his artwork, and they are pencil drawings in most cases, I believe, but um, they are situations where you look at them, and after a while, your brain hurts, because the way he has got people walking upstairs over here, and down sideways stairs over here, and upstairs backwards this way, coming down, it is amazing, and, and uh, things like that our minds can't can't wrap around because he's messing with our with our senses what we know to be true and normal and right the uh centaur uh the man with the man's uh, head or torso and the horse's body um there's a commercial <laughs> you've seen it nowadays i think it's called a, a motor uh, where the guy has a motorcycle on the bottom part of his body and, and a man on the, on the top. With our technology today, the ability to use programs like Photoshop. I don't have Photoshop. I've never used Photoshop. But um, testing photos to see whether or not they have been tampered with is getting more di more and more difficult. Uh, I think scientists and, and people who deal in this area um, are are still able to make, to to determine whether or not a photograph has been uh, messed with, whether two photographs have been put together, something has been photoshopped in. Uh, they can they can figure out how to do that, but it's getting more and more difficult. And my point in saying this is, you can't believe your eyes. That example that he gave on 9-11 with the man up on top and just happened to catch the moment just before the plane hit makes you wonder how the photo uh, got 
got out, uh, if that were indeed the case, but uh, it made it look like he was there at that time. And people do that uh, with all sorts of things nowadays, and it's amazing what what little apps um, can do to photos and to videos um, now with with technology. The Roswell, uh, Roswell uh, New Mexico situation was Area 51, mm -hmm. is that what that was? Um, you know, has has been uh, a topic of intrigue for an awful long time. They made moves about it, as you say, and um, uh, nothing has ever come from that. Is our government still hiding things? I think I heard an an article, or I read, or heard um, a news story the other day that uh, they are still hiding things from us about UFOs and things of that sort. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know, but. Um, there's no way that I can tell and it doesn't affect my faith uh, in the Bible and it could be that many if not all of them like Clayton says are explainable um, natural phenomenon phenomena did you want to say anything? Do you anything, have any points that you wanted to offer? I've been talking an awful lot no. here. No, I think he pretty well covered and, and you said things that, that make sense, you know, that your brain plays tricks on you, and you get in a certain scenario, like you watch, when, it, when you watch a scary movie, for example, you wouldn't normally be afraid to go to sleep, right? You sleep in that room, in that bed, every single night, but then you watch the, the latest horror flick, and all of a sudden you see shadows moving in the closet, and there's, you're terrified to get out of the bed and stuff, and your mind plays tricks on you, and my it children does. are the world's worst about it, because they watch like a Scooby-Doo episode, <clears throat> and then they're they're terrified for the next couple of days. But I watch a Scooby Doo episode, and guess what? My brain has evolved past, thankfully, past <laughs> that 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 that's a maybe that level of creativity or that level of moldability. Um, and, and I'm it doesn't scare me, right? Yeah. Um. So, but your brain, our brains are incredibly powerful little mechanisms that that can sometimes betray us. If we get put in the right uh, scenario, in the right thinking, you see what you want to see. You know, so it's, it's kind of interesting. We're going to close with this. Um, I, we may, we're going to finish a little bit early today uh, simply because I didn't have uh, enough other stuff to talk about uh, here. But I'm going, to, I'm going to refer to, and I didn't look up the passage, uh, Jesus, I think, quotes Isaiah. Uh, and it could be uh, another prophet when he says uh, about the... Uh, tendency of the Jewish elite at that time. Here you have God sending his son in the fullness of time. And in that phrase, the fullness of time, if you've ever studied that, um, it was the perfect time to send his son. And there were a lot of things that were going on at that time uh, that had occurred at that time that it made it perfect uh, for Jesus to be sent to uh, Israel and the rest of the world uh, at that time. Um, John the Baptist prophesied and said, it's, it's how, it's now, it's coming, he is here. I'm not worthy to latch his shoes um, and, and all of this kind of thing. People believed. There were even those of the Jewish elite uh, were going out to him and some of them being baptized uh, into John's um, preaching and into his baptism. Um, and then Jesus comes. And, you know, you would think that a nation that had been craving, starving, expecting for centuries that the Messiah was coming, once it was announced that he had arrived or was getting ready to arrive, they would say, Hallelujah. He's here. Let's all go follow him and let's do what he wants us to do. Well, that didn't happen. He did have followers. He had multitudes. Um, once the, he left and the church was established, the church grew in phenomenal ways. But there were people who saw him do the miracles and blasted him for doing a miracle on Sunday. On the, on the Sabbath day, excuse me. Um, rather than look at the miracle, they 
criticized him, and I think you mentioned this in, in a, a sermon recently, uh, they criticized him for when he did it. Mm-hmm. Not that he could do it, but when he did it. And it wasn't forbidden for him to do that. These were uh, enhancements that the Pharisees and the Jewish elite had added to. Something like, what, 600? Yeah, there's a lot. 400 or 600 things that they had added to the law that Jesus says they made more important than the law itself. What could be more important than the Messiah performing a miracle before you than that? And they focused in on a detail. A, uh, a self-imposed detail that really had nothing to do with the miracle at all. And so Jesus says, as the prophet said, and I believe it was Isaiah, having ears, they do not hear, and having eyes, they do not see. They didn't want to. They were predisposed to not seeing and believing what was right in front of them. How many of us would give anything and everything we have to go back to that time and sit at the feet of Jesus? They had that opportunity. They chose not only to not take advantage of that, they chose to put him to death on the cross. So regardless of what was in front of them, They chose not to believe it. Now that's a little bit of a flip on what we've been talking about here. Here, our minds are making us believe something that isn't actually true. What we're talking about here in this passage is they wouldn't believe what was right in front of them. And so, as we go through our lives, as we study God's Word as we do everything we can to apply it to our lives, we need to read it and believe it because we are told, I write nothing to you but that which you can read and believe and understand. And um, Paul uh, says that at one point in one of his letters. And so if we do that, we will be able to experience the paranormal heaven and what comes after this life that's all we're going to do today next week he's going to talk a little bit more and go into a lot more detail i believe about demons and demonology um to uh for that for that session so uh, be ready for that print out the questions and and let me just say one thing i'm not going through those questions those questions are good and the good thing about those questions is he provides answers for them uh, right after each question. So uh, that's more for independent study on your own and just kind of prepare your minds for some of the things that he's going to talk about in that uh, in that session. So we will conclude for today and we will see you next week.